Good morning and welcome to Celebration Church. We are live via satellite. Uh, good morning to our campus over in Stevens Point as well as down in the cafe. A lot of people down there today who got shoved down there because there's no more room in here. But uh, it's a wonderful thing that God is doing. Uh, Stevens Point, is, I hear, is continually getting bigger and bigger packed out audiences. Pretty soon you guys are gonna have to go to two services as well. Uh, on our end here, we're getting ready to launch another campus uh, on the uh, west side of Green Bay over in uh, Howard. And uh, just because there's no more room here and uh, it's cheaper than building a bigger building here. So uh, uh, by connecting by video and stuff like that, it allows us to touch so many lives and we don't all have to sit in the same building. Anyway, good morning to all of you, as well as so many people who watch us all across uh, northern Wisconsin on television. How many of you watch me on television? <laughs> so you watch that and then you come here again, huh? <laughs> Gluttons for punishment, these people. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, real quick promo for our uh, special uh, event that we're having October 6th. It's a Monday night. Pam Stenzel is going to be coming and talking to our young adults about the issue of sex. And we want you to have your adults uh, or your kids here as well as you coming as uh, the parents and sit in on this. This lady does not mess around. She's a straight talker, very direct to the point. Uh, you guys in point will also be able to watch uh, via video as well. Depending on the crowd here, we might also have to open up the uh, cafe. But uh, so keep that on in mind for October 6th. Big deal, I want you to just see a little bit of a video clip of her this morning. Girls are bad at this. Guys will never say this. Girls say this to me every day of my life. Well, well Pam, I, I wasn't gonna have sex and I meant to wait and I didn't mean to do that. You know, it just happened. Here's my favorite one, girls. It was an accident. <laughs> Hello, were you walking to get your mail naked? Some guy happened to be jogging by, he was naked. <laughs> that would be an accident. <laughs> was an accident. My goal today isn't to decide for you what you're going to do. Y'all can do whatever you want. My goal is that no one would be able to leave tonight and ever again have to say to a physician, to a counselor, to a parent, to your future husband or wife, nobody told me. I didn't know. Well, you're going to know. Serious stuff. You need to get this stuff right. You get it wrong, it will mess you up for life. So uh, you want to be in on that. Also, uh, all you guys out there, uh, as well as in here, I want to encourage you to go by uh, the uh, different tables and stuff. Check out the life groups uh, that are going to be meeting. We have. Uh, it's a great way for you to get connected with the church. It's great that you come to church, but we want you to more than just come to church. We want you to be part of what's going on. And a great way to do that is to get involved in a life group. Uh, lots of different, uh, they're based on different activities and interests. Everything from, uh, you know, I don't know if point if they're still doing the, uh, the bowling, but that was always a big group out there. It was uh, just nuts over there, great fun. But uh, here we got all kinds of ballroom dancing here and uh, manly man movie night. Manly man. That ought to be fun. Uh, violent movies. But, uh, <laughs> you know, a movie is not a guy movie unless somebody's dying. You got to die. Somebody's got to die. And the more they die, the more it goes up in the manly man scale. Anyway, uh, 
So uh, check that stuff out as well. They're just based on different interests and stuff. Check it out. Some are Bible studies, uh, business groups, uh, fun things, whatever. Just check those out. And, and it's a great way for you to get to meet some people and connect. Some of the groups meet once a month. Some are once a week, you know, whatever. Just wander about. Also look for opportunities where you can volunteer in the church, help out with ushering, greeting people, all sorts of stuff. Ways that you can come and get involved with the church and get connected in a bigger way. And if... Uh, you know, if you ever think of there's a life group or an interest you'd like to try with people, let us know. We'd love to sign you up and get you involved. I was thinking I'd start a life group. Dinner with Pastor Mark. You take me to dinner. Anybody sign up for that one? <laughs> ah, no, hands on one or two, bless you. But anyway, uh, we'll see if anybody signs up for that one. Okay, here we go. We are continuing our study on the Apostles' Creed. Let's all stand together here in the sanctuary, down in the cafe, over in Stevens Point, all you Celebration Church people. Let's say this together as a group of people, a statement of faith uh, in the basic tenets of Christianity. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Now, last week, uh, I was talking about the uh, part of the creed where it says we believe God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, I had quite a few things to say, my personal opinion about the idea and theory of evolution, uh, some people thought that perhaps I was making fun of evolutionary beliefs. If you thought that, let me be clear, I was. <laughs> You're not very nice. <laughs> You know, and I appreciate academics for the things they've brought to, to our standard of living and health care and all the wonderful things. Brilliant, brilliant people who do really fabulous things, and we appreciate that. But there is a part of academia, as far as I'm concerned, they are complete nitwits wrapped up in morons <laughs> because they teach and put forth ideas that are destructive to people's lives. A great example of it just this week. Have you heard this one? Apparently... When men commit adultery, it's because they have a gene that causes them to commit adultery. Apparently, when you commit adultery, you're not a two-faced lying piece of caca. <laughs> you have a gene problem. They should call it the caca gene. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. I don't care if you're lacking a gene, got an extra gene, or wearing jeans with holes in them. There's no excuse for being a lying, cheating piece of caca. Woo! 
It's a genius. We discovered a genius. Anything, anything they can come up with to justify sin. Anything they can come up with to keep from believing in God. And I just reject that kind of thinking and I mock it. Academics who set aside common sense and promote ideas that are harmful to our nation, harmful to our families, harmful to our young people. All kinds of ridiculous ideas. Academics who tell us that pornography is good. You know, it's good for your marriage. Yeah, yeah, you're real helpful. Tell our young people it's okay to have sex. It's normal to have sex. You're no different than a chicken and a frog. <laughs> Academics who tell me, yeah, I said, it's, it's better. Studies have shown it's better for you to get divorced than, than to be unhappy. Your children will be. It's better for your children, really. Creating just a path of destruction in people's lives from people who claim to be highly intelligent. This includes the academic scientific community that have worked overtime to tell us that life was not created by God. It just happened. It just happened. All this incredible balance in nature and all this incredible world ecosystem that we live in just happened over millions of years. And while I can appreciate people in the faith community who have different ideas of how God created the earth. Make no mistake, we believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. <laughs> now, now I realize I make some people uncomfortable when I make fun of stuff like that. And granted, there are pastors who, even though they might disagree, would never, ever mock the ideas of others, no matter how destructive or damaging those ideas may be. But I'm not one of those guys. That may not make me the most popular guy in the world, but I will always tell you the truth. This idea that we have to be politically correct and respect all ideas is ridiculous and absurd. There are ideas and stuff that will wreck your life. Ideas that are absolutely diametrically opposed to faith and to righteousness and the teachings of God. And I reject them. Anyway, let's pick up where we left off last week. We're talking about we believe in Jesus Christ. And we talk about where he says where he was crucified, died, and was buried. Big deal in Christianity. Christianity is really different than, in so many other ways than, than other religions. We celebrate the fact that Jesus came to the earth. And we celebrate his life and his teachings and stuff. But that's really not the major focus, amazingly enough. What we focus on, the main focus in Christian belief is Jesus' death. Why so much emphasis on his death? Because that's why he came. That was the purpose, to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, to be the one who would take our punishment for sin, the final sacrifice for sin. This is a big deal, and this is why he came. Now, yes, amen, hallelujah. So he did die. He did. <laughs> and, you know, let me address this academic theory that's been bantered about by some people who say, well, oh, we don't think Jesus actually died. We think that he fainted on the cross. And, uh, and then when they put him in the tomb, uh, when he woke up, then he rolled away this gigantic stone, 
And, uh, and then when people saw him, that's where you got the myth of the resurrection. Honestly, the hoops that these people go through not to believe in God takes more faith than to believe in God. Here's a guy who was beaten so severely that people could not recognize him. That's how badly he was whipped and beaten. He would have surely bled to death had he not gotten to the cross. But in this brutally beaten state, they force him to carry his own cross. He carries it, he falls, he carries it, he falls. They finally have to get someone else in the crowd to carry the cross for him because he so lacks the strength from the beating and the blood he's lost. Then they take him and crucify him on a cross, drive nails into his hands and feet, hang him on the cross for hours, stick a spear into his side, and apparently this guy just fainted and then had the wherewithal to wake up and roll away a big stone. Uh, I'm telling you, these people, it's not that they can't get their heads around this stuff. I'm telling you, it's they can't get their hearts around it. For if they acknowledge that in fact Jesus is the Christ, that he did what they say he did, they got a problem. They have to deal with that problem and come up with all kinds of ridiculous theories. And you young people, when you go to school and to college, make no mistake, you will have teachers, you will have people who will do everything they can to mock your faith, to tear down your faith, to throw crazy ideas in your head, uh, to try and tear you away from your faith. But just understand, the world might be against you, but God will always be for you. You need to stand, trust God. If you really try and follow a lot of their thinking, it takes more faith anyway. It's just ridiculous. It's not that they're so smart. It's just they've got such hard hearts that they cannot accept the teachings of the Bible. So he was crucified, died, and was buried. Then the Bible, the, the, or the, the creed, the next thing says, he descended to the dead. Now, traditionally, the phrase was descended into hell. A lot of us uh, grew up in church that uh, used that phrase, descended into hell. Uh, some later versions started saying descended to the dead, which is what we use. Uh, what's that about? Um, there's two theories on what happened here after Jesus died. One is that he actually went to hell and actually suffered in hell for a period. In essence, not only taking on physical death for us, but the punishment of spiritual death as well. Uh, whether that's exactly what happened or not, I don't really have a problem with that theory in any way, shape, or form, but uh, that's one. Another one is that, well, what he did was he just went to the place of the dead and not necessarily into the torturous part of hell. Well, again, I don't have a problem with either theory, but, uh, but you need to understand what the Bible teaches is that when people die, and certainly before Jesus died on the cross, when everybody died, they went to basically a holding cell, if you will. There were people who died in their sins without God. They went to a place of torment that the Bible calls Hades or hell. But this is not the ultimate hell that people will end up in. Uh, that will be the lake of fire that will be revealed on the day of judgment when everybody has to answer to God, those who get cast into that, that's the eternal hell that we're talking about. The uh, hell that we, the Bible refers to at this point is more of just kind of a holding cell until uh, they have their court date is basically what happens. 
But then also there were people, again, before Jesus died, Satan had the keys of hell and death and, and sin separated men from God. And uh, when they died, they went to a place also, a holding place, but it was a place of comfort, but they were still not with God. We hear about this when Jesus tells us the story about the rich man and Lazarus that we read in Luke, the 16th chapter. And it says this, uh, Jesus said, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine living, linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. Now, again, the, 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 the picture here isn't so much that the rich man went to hell because he was rich. It wasn't so much that. It was that here's a guy who in his riches and comfort had a guy laid at his door in great need and ignored him. Do not ignore the people. It's careful. We need to be careful as people of faith that we do not ignore those in our own city, in our communities that have needs. And it's something we're continuing to focus more and more as we grow as a church. But anyway, so here's Lazarus at his gate, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Well, the time came, Jesus said, when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment. And by the way, Again, sometimes people will come up with these weird theories. Well, what is hell? Well, what, describe, what, what do you think? Do you think it's actually literal fire? I don't care what it is. I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't care if it's just eternity wearing a Minnesota Vikings t-shirt. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> All right, if you're a Vikings fan, just chill out. You know, it's just a joke. What is hell? I don't care. I don't want to go. How many of you would rather avoid hell, if at all possible? Yes, very good choice this morning. Well, in hell, he looked was where he was. He looked up in torment, and he saw uh, Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this Fire. Sounds like fire to me. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, he says, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Though I can't imagine anyone wanting to do that. Let's walk over into the flames for a while. But anyway, but nor can anyone cross over from there to us, which was probably more the point. Um, and then uh, Lazarus answered, he says, or uh, the rich man answered, he says, well, then I beg you, you know, please send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. Warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Jesus went on to tell him and said, look, if they won't believe the Bible and what has been taught, they're not going to believe even if somebody raises from the dead, which is a big point. A lot of people think, wow, why doesn't God just do more miracles, stuff that people can just see, and if people see stuff, that'll make them believe. No, it won't. I mean, it has a powerful effect on people, without a doubt, and we see that in the New Testament, and when you see God moving in people's lives, it's a wonderful testimony, and God can use that to speak to people's heart, but just because people could actually see miracles, they won't necessarily believe. Stop and think about this. There were all kinds of people who saw what Jesus did, healed the sick, 
raised the dead. Incredible miracles that we all wish. Man, I wish I could see something like that. They saw it, they were there, and still did not believe. You see, because what's important is not so much seeing here. It's important to see here. This is where faith is born, not based on physical evidence. But anyway, we get this picture. Here's this place of, uh, of the dead. You know, one half is this place of torment. Another place is a place of comfort with this big chasm in the middle. This is the basic holding cell uh, of people who die uh, before uh, Judgment Day. Now, um, the Bible talks about this. In, uh, the Paul the Apostle writes about it in Ephesians where he writes this. He says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Jesus is the one who gave these gifts of grace. That's why it says, talking about uh, the Old Testament, when he ascended on high, the Messiah, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And he goes on to say, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? In other words, this picture and idea is that Jesus goes to the place of the dead uh, upon his death. And he now, have, having paid for the sins of the world and removed the barrier between God and man and taken the keys of hell and death, took these guys now who are waiting and took them into heaven to be with God. Now that place is empty. The other side is completely empty. Nobody's there. The Bible says now that when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We immediately get ushered into his presence. That's what he did when he died. He went to this place of the dead and set captivity captive. Hallelujah. All right. Now, on the third day is the next phrase. He rose again, is what the creed says. Jesus Christ. Now, this is the fundamental point of Christianity. Uh, we read about this in Revelation where Jesus appeared to uh, um, John the Apostle. And I don't know if you've ever read the book of Revelations. It's, it's quite the book. Uh, I encourage you to, to take a look at it, read through it. The Bible promises a special blessing, by the way, to those who read the book. But it's kind of hard to understand. It talks about the end times and stuff. And uh, it's a little creepy, to say the least. And there's some serious stuff coming before Jesus Christ returns. And it's all laid out in various ways in the book of Revelation. But when Jesus first appears to John before he writes this book, he tells him, he says, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Jesus went to the place of the dead and ripped the keys of hell and death from Satan and took the righteous to heaven. He rose again on the third day. And by the way, third day, uh, for those of you who will run again, young people who will hear all these ridiculous things, a lot of these guys in, uh, who are so against God and Christ go out of their ways trying to create any kind of doubt in your mind about the Bible that's what they're constantly doing again because their hearts have been so hardened to the idea of God in their lives. Indeed, they don't even think there is a God. We just showed up someday just by accident. But they try and find things in the Bible and then try and say, well, you know, you know there's contradictions and what about this? What about and, and remember, Satan from the beginning, what was the first thing he did in the Garden of Eden? Got Eve to question. Did God really say that? Did he say you could really eat? I mean, that's, he's always done that. And people to this day, well, did the Bible really say this? Is it really? What about this? And it gets you to questioning and doubt. That's always been his modus operandi. 
But one of the things these people will say, well, the Bible says Jesus rose three days later. Actually, it doesn't say that. It says he rose on the third, third day, which I'll explain in a minute. Well, I'll say, well, he died on Friday afternoon. Well, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, Monday afternoon. So when the Bible says he rose three days later and he rose on Sunday morning, it's another contradiction. Well, no, they're wrong. The Bible doesn't say he would rise three days later. It said he would rise on the third day. And they didn't think in terms of hours, literal 24-hour days in the Bible. When Jesus died on Friday and was put into the tomb, that was the first day. When he was in the tomb on Saturday, that was the second day. When Sunday morning came around, it was now the third day. And that's when that roll stone was rolled away and Jesus Christ came out, raised from the dead, back to life, and is alive to this day. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, it changed everything. It was the final exclamation point that he was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, God himself. He's the firstborn of the dead, showing that God's word is true, that all men someday will be raised, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting judgment. The firstborn from the dead. Now, even in the... Uh, time of, of the apostles, there were already crazy ideas coming into the church. It's one of the reasons they had the Apostles' Creed was just to try and, you know, hey, this is what we believe. Make it simple so everybody gets this. But crazy ideas would come in, and one of the ideas was coming in that there really is no resurrection of the dead. We will be raised, and maybe even doubting if Jesus was raised from the dead and, and having other ideas and stuff. But uh, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians to that church. He says, look, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, in other words, died in Christ, they are also lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. I mean, he really brings it down. He says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then this is all a big joke. It's a big waste of time. Everybody should pity us. This idea of the resurrection is no small deal. This is the final exclamation point that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. An amazing, amazing thing. But our hope is not misplaced in Christ, for he is, in fact, risen. We serve a living Savior. This is the Christian message that has transformed the lives of countless millions of people and that dramatically changed the course of human history. It's not just a religion that we have, people. It's not just ideas. It's not just teachings. It's not just some philosophy. Yeah, Christian philosophy. Yes. You know, I, I love listening to these academics. They're trying to explain the spread of Christianity. If you ever listen to some of these documentaries. And they say, yeah, this, well, the Christian philosophy. Change the world. How, how quickly, it's amazing how quickly this philosophy took on. 
What a philosophy, man. People were being born again. They were meeting God. They were experiencing the living Christ. And stop and think about this. Christianity is so different than any other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world, be it Buddhism, Islam, whatever it is, you first have to learn about it and study it and, and grasp all the concepts and look into it. And at some point you make a decision, yeah, okay, and then you, you adopt and, and, and hang on to those beliefs. Christianity starts out not so much about understanding the Bible as it is in experiencing Jesus Christ. That's the thing that sets it apart. Indeed, you can experience Jesus and not know jack squat about the Bible. What an odd religion this is. I mean, you know, when I first came to Jesus, I was 16 years old. I was a hippie, a junior hippie. I wasn't quite old enough to be a full-time hippie. But... And I remember being in our basement in Nielsville, Wisconsin, center of the universe. And I was down there smoking dope. That's what I was doing. 16 years of age. Just. <laughs> when one of the coolest hippies I knew walked into the room. Now, he was a cool hippie. We all wanted to be like the cool hippie. But he walked into the room, and there was something different about this guy. He was glowing like a light bulb. We looked at him and said, what happened to you? And he said, man, I just came back from California. He said, I was out there and I met some guys and they told me about Jesus Christ. How I could actually have an experience, a personal experience with this God. And I asked him into my life and it changed me. And we looked at him like, you are crazy. And I remember sitting down, I started arguing with him. What an idiot he was. He was giving up all the cool hippie stuff. As we're sitting there arguing, he's arguing with me. All of a sudden, it's like I didn't hear anything he said anymore. It was like God started talking to me. This living Savior starts talking to me. Suddenly, I just felt the guilt of my own sin. And I, it's like I could see Jesus hanging on the cross, looking at me, saying, I did this for you. And it so impacted me. I mean, I was just totally freaking out. And I started crying. And I asked this guy, man, pray with me. He said, I'm not done yet. <laughs> Three times I had to tell him to shut up. He was trying to explain everything to me. He didn't know what he was talking about, by the way. It's, you know, it was funny thinking back on some of the stuff he was saying. But he got down with me and we knelt down. And I remember holding hands, there were three or four of us together. And simply surrendered my heart to this loving, living Savior. And I could feel the weight of sin just peel off of me and I didn't understand it all I didn't get the Bible I didn't understand jack squat but what I knew was I had been touched by the Savior and he changed my life and I have not been the same to this day I'm going to ask our ushers at this time uh, to come forward uh, we're, we're different campuses, wherever you're at, just all you guys just start coming forward. Get ready to serve communion. All the musicians can come back, get ready uh, for our time of communion this morning. What an amazing thing that we experience. Jesus Christ died, was crucified, was buried, and on the third day, he rose again, and he's alive today. 
My question to you this morning is you're here, maybe visiting for the first time. I don't know. Maybe you've been here in our services for a long time, but have never really gotten to this point where you have surrendered to this wonderful living Savior. Do you know Jesus? It's interesting. Christianity isn't about do you understand the Bible? That's not our main question. Do you understand all the tenets of faith? That's not our question. Our question always is, do you know Jesus? Have you met this wonderful Savior? He is alive, and you can meet him today. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer this morning, wherever you're at this morning. And if you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and willing to put your faith in Jesus, you can begin your life of faith this morning. And I want you to join with us as we join together in this prayer. If you'll mean this prayer from the bottom of your heart, you can experience this wonderful Jesus. Say, well, I don't understand everything. That's okay. It doesn't start with understanding. It starts with heart transformation because he is alive. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. That you love me so much, you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.